of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Um, so Peter asked me to continue the, the talk we did last time. Um, and uh, as, as I mentioned before, um, we've, um, we're working on identifying the, the reasons that youth are leaving from the church. And so uh, through a series of interviews and uh, different things, we've put together kind of lists of reasons why youth are, are leaving the church, mostly in their 20s. Um, and it continues into the 30s, and it's a sort of a slow trickle, but we see a big increase around the 20s. Uh, I went over some reasons last time, uh, and then Peter asked me to continue. We only got, I have like 30, we got through like four or five last time. Um, so I'll go through some more this time, and we'll just kind of discuss it uh, like we did last time. Um, again, I, I, I want to emphasize that this doesn't mean these things are true, um, but these are the perceptions of the youth. So... Uh, some of the things I say, um, people may take issue with and say, well, that's not true, or that's just what they think, and all youth say that, and that may be true. What they're saying may not be real. It may be their perception. It may be whatever. It may be a lack of education. It may be misunderstanding, um, but nonetheless, it's what is said, and so to them, that is their reality. That is their perception, so it has to be addressed and identified. Um, I think the last uh, time we talked a little bit about a judgmental experiences at church, um, the message of the gospel being shame, making people feel bad, telling us how bad we are. Uh, we talked about the story of Ambeb Shoy and how that story can be manipulated about, you know, when, when you talk about the story of him tying his hair to, to talk to Christ, uh, to stay up all night, how that story can be retold in a very negative way and saying, look how good he is, look how bad you are, he stays up all night praying, how long do you stay up? And it could be used as a message of shame. And that's not the point. It's the point is, as Abuna said today, so beautifully, it's a message of joy, it's a message of happiness and love, it's a message of I want to talk to my, in, to my God, right? To my, and have this relationship, and I want to be up all night. And like we mentioned last time, there's no Red Bull, so you have to do that. Um, we talked a little bit about the treatment of women in the house. Did we talk about that? I can't remember. We did? Okay. Um, and how that some of the examples we see in, in our homes are unfortunately not Christian examples, but that we have a lot of Arab and Islamic influence, um, and that some of our young boys are growing up watching their dads treat their moms in a way that's inconsistent with Christianity, but is consistent with an Arab, male-dominated Islamic culture. So some of the things we hear um, that some of the youth will say are, are very negative towards women, and then on the other side, a lot of girls, when you tell them, well, you're supposed to submit, they recoil against a, a term like that, right? Because they are replaying what they saw their dad do to their mom at home. And they have no intention of doing that. And one of the big issues we have now in the church is all these young girls are getting married. They're going for the first time through the script and the, and the text of the wedding service. And they're like, I don't want this read in my wedding. I don't want to hear this. I don't want my friends to hear this. Can we say this in another language? I've been at weddings where they're like, say this in another language, right? Because it's very, um, it's very triggering for them. Right? And unfortunately, the parts they're saying come out of St. Paul to the Ephesians, but St. Paul 
said lots of things, right? And unfortunately, the, the, the ceremony seems to focus a bit more on the woman's side, and maybe because of what the girls are experiencing at home, they're triggered by some of these comments. That's a big issue. Youth need mentoring and relatable examples of Christ in their lives, one who, who come with them, real people, real servants, not just the, laity, not just the clergy, but the laity. Um, the next thing that's going on is relationships and family stress push people away after marriage. So a lot of couples are getting married and they're sinking, like really fast. And they need guidance and they need help and they need mentoring. And what's, what's going on is um, after, after couples get married, there's all these problems in the home of fighting and attacking and all of these things. And they need they're drowning and they go to counseling maybe they go to clergy maybe but they what they really need are people who in the community can mentor them and help them and talk to them tell them what's normal tell them what's not normal tell them tell them what the rules of engagement are and tell them what the, what, what what what's not okay to say uh, in a fight under any circumstance and so this pressure drives people away from the church, right? They get married, they start fighting, it gets ugly, and the last thing they want to do is come to church. The last thing they want to do is talk to anyone at that church about their own problems. The last thing they want to do is talk to their parents about their problems. And then they feel very isolated, very alone. They're just kind of alone in their issues. And all they do is look at each other and, and fight, right? And that tends to be an issue as well. This one's very important. Relationship with others in the church is shallow and superficial. There is too much focus on appearances and not on authenticity. So the relationship are sh in the church are shallow and superficial. And of course, there's a, there's a, a part of this that's just normal, right? I and mean, we all come to church, we grab our coffee. Hey, how are you? Good, good. How are you? Good, good. And nobody's going to tell you, I feel lousy, right? And every once in a while, somebody will joke around and say, do you want the 20-minute answer or do you want the, hey, I'm feeling fine, right? Do you want the real answer, which is none of us are good, right? That's the real answer, okay? But we all say to each other, yeah, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm, I'm, everything's great, right? And so we keep it at a very shallow, superficial level. And, and part of that's just, you know, there's a lot of people and you're not going to get into an in-depth conversation. But there's another deeper part to this, right, which is that as a community, we aren't open with each other. We don't expose ourselves to one another. And we don't expose our own um, intimate life, our own problems, our own issues. It's, and, and the reason we don't, and I'm going to hate to say it like this, is maybe the church isn't a safe place to do that. Maybe I don't want to come to church and tell you about my problems, because if I go and I tell Megdi about my issues, Megdi's going to go tell other people, did you hear about Archie? Right? And I don't know that I trust him. I don't know that I trust other people. Right? And so now I have to protect myself and be very shallow in this place. Right? Now, especially as a youth, right? because now imagine a youth comes in and you know, he had a bad weekend. Right? Yeah, I, I got stoned this weekend. I, I did some things that I shouldn't have done this weekend. Is he going to share that with someone at the church? No. Right? He's scared to death or she's scared to death to share it with someone at the church right? because there's going to be judgment and condemnation and you know, the first word out of their mouth would be, why'd you do that? You shouldn't have done that. That's wrong. Well, no, duh. That's why I'm telling you. That's why I'm talking about it. 
right? And so what we do because of this a judgmental feeling to the church is we do keep it shallow and superficial because I don't want to open up to you, right? So I have to pretend everything's fine. I have to pretend I'm good. And that sort of leads into very dysfunctional cultures that we have in the church, right? I mean, one of them, unfortunately, is, you know, the, the, the service culture, right? Or the deacon culture, okay? And what goes up, ends up happening is we all have to kind of fake it, right? We all have to kind of walk around and pretend we're really good, pretend we're good servants, pretend we're good archdeacons, right? Pretend we're good deacons or whatever the case may be. And we have to hide who we really are from each other. And that's not a community of sinners and a community of believers who love each other and love God and want to love each other through the ups and downs of life, right? Because we all have ups and downs of life. And unfortunately, we've created a situation where everybody's very focused on keeping everything away from everybody else, right? This stays inside the house. Jonathan, could you close that door, if you don't mind? Right? And how many, how many times have we heard things like, you know, these are our family secrets. Don't tell anyone. We don't want people to know. Right? Which is my most hated saying of my life, right? What are people going to say about us? Right? And I can't tell you how many problems this has caused. How many people have made very, very bad decisions in their life because what are people going to say about us? Okay, well, congratulations. Now you've made some really suboptimal decision. And guess what? We're the people. They're all gone. They're all gossiping about someone else now. And here you are continuing to be driven by this if you will, mob mentality of what people think about us. Who are these people and who cares? And if these people are so judgmental, then they can just go away, right? But unfortunately, we're so consumed because of the way our culture thinks by these people, whoever these people are. All right, I'll stop on that one. And so there's this focus on appearances and not on authenticity, right? And that's devastating. I'll tell you a story about um, a youth uh, came up and said to me, hey, if I'm at a, a party and there's somebody there who's talking and they just have a moment and they really want to talk, you know, like they want to talk about what's in their heart and they want to have this moment with God and they want to ask you about something religious and Christian and they want to talk to you right there and say, hey, you know, tell me about your faith you know, should I talk to them? And so this person asked somebody whether or not they should talk to a person at a party. And this person said, no, you shouldn't. You should tell them to come to the church and talk. I was shocked. And you should tell them that, and, 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 and I said, well, why did this person say that? And they said, well, because what if people see you talking to a person at a party and then they'll talk about you. So you shouldn't talk to people because then you, someone could see you. And that was the, pre, the clergy members, there's a priest, the clergy members' rationale for why you shouldn't speak to people about God. What if someone sees you talking? And then you think, well, gee, what did Jesus do? And did he care? And who did he talk to? And who did he hang out with? And how did he interact? And then you're just really scared at this moment, right? How far are we from that model where I had no fear? Yeah, I'm going to go talk to a prostitute and I'm going to go hang out. 
and I'm going to talk to this tax collector who's worse than a prostitute, and we're going to hang out, and we're going to go drink and have dinner at each other's houses. And not caring at all about what the Pharisees said about him, because he did the exact same thing. Next one, church needs to, oh, this one, church is homophobic. Most kids are being taught and raised unchristian. This is true, right? We have to address this type of rhetoric in the church. A lot of it is Islamic, Arab-based rhetoric. A lot of it, some of it right-wing, extreme right-wing. And there's a very big difference between discussing, you know, uh, what sin is and what God's call is for all of us versus being homophobic, right? And some of the words that are used by, you know, adults in the church, and, and I don't really think much in this church, but in some other churches where more, they're more, you know, recent, foreign, uh, recent immigrants, it's just downright amazing. And um, unfortunately, the kids hear these words, and they're just like, wow, you're uh, not saying Christian things right now. Right? And we talked about this last time with the BLM stuff, but it was racism at that time. So this is something that happens that we have to address. The church is too often seen as a means to an end rather than Christ's body. I mean, today the, the gospel of Matins was just so beautiful. Christ says, you abide in me. Without me, you can do nothing. Right? We live in him. That's all we have. We live in Christ and he lives in us. And he says, once you cut off a branch from the tree, it falls and dies. And it's such a simple saying, but wow, is it profound. That's all we have. We live in Christ. And anything outside of that is death, including an event at church. And so the church becomes its own means, right? Church is where I find a spouse. Church is where I play basketball. Church is where I make friends. Right? Church is where I make sure I don't do drugs. And where's Christ in all of these things, right? And, and what, if, what if I've connect, disconnected myself from the tree, right? Once we lose focus of what the church is about, then we have a problem, right? Once basketball becomes the end and the mean and the, 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 the reason for coming, and it's not a, a, a tool to, to, to attract people to God. It's not a tool that a servant uses to get to those kids that don't really want to come to church, but they'll play basketball. And the servant has his eye on them and is watching them and is talking to them and is building a relationship with them because that servant has one objective. I want to bring this person to Christ. I want him to see Christ in me. And once that servant's objective is to win the trophy, heaven help us because we're not a church anymore. Right? We're a trophy-winning basketball thing. Right? And that's not what the church is about. All right. Some other related issues. Church structure, praxis, rituals. Um, there's a lot of disillusionment from women. Uh, one of the complaints is the roles of women in liturgical worship, leadership in the church, submission to clergy. Some of this is structural, very difficult to change. Some of it's cultural possible to change. And these are the thorny issues that we'll have to deal with as a church. This is way above our pay grade, so I'll just kind of skip it. The next one is disillusionment from men. Deacon culture. This is, I'm talking about, like, not archdeacons. We're very spiritual people, but the, the non, like the little deacons, you know, the not archdeacons, 
You know, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, right? Um, so deacon culture isn't spiritual or meaningful and eventually leads to young boys leaving the church when they become disillusioned. It causes stumbling blocks. I'll, 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 let me just stop there. This is a very common pattern, and those of you who are old like me, you've seen it happen a dozen times now, right? When they kind of grow up, we, you know, we tell them, you've got to be deacon, you've got to be deacon, and we make them do all the things, right? They're 12, they start doing all the things, right? They're 16, they got the mic. They're 22, they're done with the church, right? Rinse and repeat, and we just keep doing the same thing. Right? Why? Because I haven't brought them to Christ. I brought them to the microphone. Right? And the microphone is not Christ, it turns out. And singing things you know, and, and making certain sounds with your throat is not Christ, it turns out. Right? And so the, the boys get disillusioned right? because they spent their whole lives focused on getting this microphone and getting to lead and getting to say all the things and being the, the guy who wins. Because right? you know boys are competitive. We're all competitive, right? We want to win. Right? So in the hymn class, I can tell you when I was in hymn class, I wanted to win. The teacher encouraged me to win. He says, okay, who's going to say it the best? Huh? Let's hear. And I wanted to say it the best. So I would practice because I wanted to beat the other boys. Why? So I can get the microphone. Why? So I can be in the front and lead. Has anyone heard Christ in anything I just said yet? Any Christianity? And it creates this culture. And yeah, sure, I win and I get to be in the front. And then what? When I'm 22, I realize this is kind of vapid. There's, it's, there's really nothing to this. I'm bored of this. I'm over it. Why? Because I haven't attracted you to God. God's infinite. This stuff, huh, after I learn it all and I've said it a thousand times and I get to say all the cool things and I've said it all the different ways that can be said, I'm not interested anymore. And I move on. And unfortunately, what we often do is instead of learning from this experience and saying, what did we do wrong here? We're like, we need to get some more boys. Let's go recruit junior high kids. Let's get them going in the same thing. And let's do that over and over and over again. It also causes stumbling blocks for others in the church. Clergy worship, emphasis on obedience. Right? Sometimes the others in the church are watching deacon culture. Right? And I'm talking about the young boys, but sometimes we see it inside the altar. Right? And I'm just going to be very candid here as I tend to be, right? Sometimes you see a lot of jockeying for position. Who gets to say what? Who gets to say which response? People openly angry when they don't get to say the cool response. And they want to say the long one. And how come he said it last time? What is this? What have we done? Now here's the problem with that. That's just a symptom of spiritual life. And that's okay. We all, we all have those problems. But everyone else is watching. Everyone else is watching uncle fight with uncle because uncle took away the mic from the other uncle because he didn't get to say the thing that he wanted to say. And everyone watching him throw a, a tizzy fit, fighting with the priest. How dare you not let me say the thing I wanted to say? Where's, where's Christ's spirit? Did Jesus do stuff like this? Did his disciples? Yeah, his disciples did. They fought with each other and said, who's the best? Who's the greatest? And then Jesus like, what were you guys doing? What are you doing? Right? Unfortunately, we do it, but we're left unchecked. So we have to jump in and we have to say something. And the reason is the young people who don't have this culture, they're watching and they don't like it. Right? And I can't tell you how many young deacons watch the old guys and just like, this is ridiculous. 
Right? I'm not going to go in and fight for prestige and fight for my spot and fight for the number one position and work my way up to the top. This isn't Christianity, and they're kind of right. It isn't. Sorry, am I being too blunt? Church is seen as a closed-off, stagnant museum, not a, place of, not a living place of worship and forgiveness. And so when the church becomes seen as a stagnant museum, as a dead place where we worship old things that are very old, and the older they are, the better they are, then it's no longer a church where we come for forgiveness and love and communion and fellowship. Right? If my goal is preservation, if my goal is to preserve things, and my, that's my objective, in my head I have to preserve things the way they are, then, what's, then what am I? I'm cut myself off from the tree. I'm no longer connected to Christ. I'm connected to this idea that I must preserve the old things. I have now become an archaeologist, a good archaeologist. Right? And my, my thinking is the more I can be very committed to the very oldest thing that could possibly be done, that somehow I'm being faithful to Jesus. And if you want to be faithful to Jesus, be faithful to Jesus not faithful to a museum. And once the church becomes this place that's old and stagnant and dead, then Christ isn't there, and it's not alive, and there's no life in it. And we talked about this on Thomas Sunday when we said, once Christ is not in among the apostles, there is no peace, there is no joy. Right? There's fear. There's fear of the unknown. Another complaint Maybe I shouldn't say this one. <laughs> filter. I'll, I'll do some filtering. Megdi's my, you know, it's bad when Megdi tells me to filter. When Megdi's, when Megdi's cringing, you know it's just holy moly. Come off the rails. Um, <laughs> now I'm filtering and I don't want to say anything else. Um, Okay, I'll, I'll say these things and I'll just say them as, you know, okay. Um, the next thing is liturgical worship. And again, this may, may or may not be true. These are the perceptions of the youth and not my own opinions. I do not adhere, you know. Liturgical worship is not seen as relevant and ed edifying by a large majority of the youth. There's an infinite in emphasis on minutia and outwardness, like turning away deacons who come late, open lectures on the lefefe and the asharb, Deacons grabbing the mic and yelling over each other in the congregation, right? Excessive, excessive pomp and circumstance. And there isn't that spirit and truth and that humility that we read about in the Gospels. And then that, that becomes the juxtaposition, right? I hear one thing in the Gospel, but then I see something else, and it confuses me. It confuses me, right? We're all, uh, and, not, and this isn't necessarily the church is doing and again, I'm, I'm a big fan of rituals, right? But they can't be just rituals. They have to be spirit and truth, right? They have to be life. They have to be lived, okay? And all of the rituals have very important meaning and can really connect us to God only if we use them non-mechanically. But when they become mechanical movements of righteousness and somehow the more things you do 
with your body and your arms and your, then you have become more righteous. Well, now that's a scary place, right? Because now I can earn my righteousness by doing things. And once you can move into earning righteousness by doing things, then the righteousness no longer comes from Christ. It comes from you. And that means when you become good in your own mind because you do good things, now you have a real problem, right? Because now you think you're good. And now you think you did it. And now Christ is no longer in the picture. You're cut off again from the tree. Right? Because now you're so proud of the fact that you earned your righteousness by doing the good things that I wanted to do. Now, what's the problem here? Well, because when I see someone else who didn't earn their righteousness with all the good things they did, especially the youth, I can look at them and say, you know, you didn't work hard enough. You know, I worked for my righteousness. I earned this righteousness. You are not working hard enough. I am better than you. I can judge you. You are inferior to me. Now, the person I'm most worried about is the adult in this situation. But the youth are just going to look at you and say, yeah, you're right, see you. And as we mentioned last time, the problem of the youth now is hopelessness. Right? It's hopeless. Because a lot of these standards are put up, and what's not put up is hope and forgiveness and, forgive and, and, and uh, repentance. And so all, the, all that's put up is, this is how you have to act. Do these things and you will be good. Okay, I didn't do them. I went to college and I didn't do them. Now what? Now what? Well, now I'm so shamed and I'm so disgusted with myself and I'm so embarrassed. And then it, that, all that shame and embarrassment turns to hate, right? Because now you make me shamed. You make me embarrassed. You make me feel bad. Who's you? Abuna, the church, the archdeacon, the people in the church, whoever. You're now a symbol of the problem. So I don't like you. I don't like coming here. I don't like being in this place that makes me feel bad about myself. Um, another thing that... Oh, okay. Um, Sunday school. And again, this is above our pay grade, I think, but as the Sunday school kids come in. Um, we have to maybe rethink Sunday school like at the high school level. Some, some, maybe Sunday school has become an ineffective tool at that level. Right? Because if you think of Sunday school, Sunday school is a great system of information dissemination. It's actually not a great system. It's a mediocre system of information dissemination. Right? I'm basically trying to push out information to kids. Okay? Well, Kids have information. They have the internet, right? They have books. All of us have like 11 children's Bibles at home that we don't read, right? I mean, we had one for like ages three to four, ages four to five, ages five to six, you know, I mean, every version of children's Bible. That's, we don't need to hear the story of Noah's Ark in Sunday school. That one's covered, right? So as a system of information dissemination, it's mediocre at best. But what the kids really need is connection. They need community. They need to feel loved. They need to feel the love of Christ in the servant. More important than anything else. Right? And so, again, above our pay grade, but maybe we have to rethink this system. 
Uh, no emphasis on ecumenism. Ec ecumenism? How do I say that? Say it, Ashraf. Ecumenism. Um, some churches demonize other churches, right? If you say Catholic, they go, oh my gosh, I can't believe you use that word in the church. If you say Eastern Orthodox, oh my gosh. If you say Protestant, heaven help you. And they, this demonization of other churches, now this works great in Egypt, right? Because you only have one other real religion to demonize. You know, and okay, I'll stop there. But here, if you, if you tell all the kids, you know, only Coptic kids go to heaven, they're just going to look at you and laugh, right? Because we see a lot of other kids who aren't Coptic here, turns out. And so I'm sitting in my class, and, you know, in my entire high school, there's three Coptic kids, and the three Coptic kids are going to go to heaven, and the other 785 are not? Really? Really, Dad? Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Dad's off. Dad doesn't, that sounds funny to me. Because I don't think God's going to take three people, the Coptic ones who are in the northeast corner of Africa, take them to heaven, and the other 785, not. Where are we? And so we have to think about how we emphasize service, right? Every once in a while you hear someone say, well, no, we shouldn't be serving the American people, we should be serving the people in Egypt. We should focus our giving to the poor on the people in Egypt. We shouldn't serve the people here in America. Why? Because they're not Egyptians. Our people are in Egypt. Our people need help. Our people should be served first. Again, you hear that and you say, you know, Jesus didn't say things like that. He didn't talk like that. He didn't say, my country over your country. My northeast corner over of Africa versus your northwest corner of Africa. He didn't do that. Right? And so when we talk like that and we say we don't want to serve our community and we don't want to love people around us and we want to keep ourselves isolated and locked off and let's put walls around our church so that no one else gets in other than Coptic people, again, the youth have to look and say, you know, that's kind of odd. That doesn't feel right. That doesn't sound right. Should I stop now or am I it's going to get excommunicated? Um, most of this will just get me, you know, fired. Uh, the last one I'll, I'll talk about is social issues should be addressed in an open and timely manner. Lots of things are happening in the world all the time. And we as a church should be addressing these issues, talking about them whether they be, you know, LGBTQ, whether it be racism, whether it be whatever the issue is, we have to talk about these issues in church. We have to talk about, well, all the kids are in the church now, but we have to talk about the birds and the bees, if you know what I'm talking about. We have to have these difficult talks with the kids. Um, and just hiding and not talking to the kids about things is talking to them about it. When you don't talk to them about something, they know it's not to be talked about. So you have talked about it. And you've told your kid, don't talk to me about it. When you purposefully not talk about something. Right? And so we have to be very careful what we choose to not talk about. Because when we choose not to talk about it, we're talking about it. Right? And so in so many situations in the world, 
the easiest knee-jerk response that we have is just to demonize. We just say, oh, those people are bad. Those people don't know. Those people aren't Christian. Those people aren't Coptic. Those people aren't going to heaven. Those people are evil. No, those people are God's children. Those people God created. Those people God died for. So don't tell me they're demons. They're not demons. They're the, they're the sons of God. Right? And so once we settle and let ourselves just demonize everyone not us, everyone who isn't like us, who doesn't think like us, then we also no longer become a church. Right? And we talked about a few weeks ago, we become a cult right? that's insulated and circular around itself and despises people outside of it. Okay, I'll stop now. This is really bad. Make these. Give me a look. Yes, Rami. Fadal. Yeah, yeah. So, I, no, I, and I agree with you. And I think, so the first thing I'll say, you, me, you mentioned a very important point, is I think, especially in the issue of, of, of homophobia, LGBTQ, homosexuality, whatever, we have to very clearly separate politics from the church, right, right off the bat. So we're not talking about what laws get passed or how these things are applied. I don't, I don't even want to think about necessarily what's taught in the schools or the curriculum. That's not the battle I'm fighting. When we think about us as a church, now I'm not talking about what the bishop's job is or the pope's job or the clergy's job. I'm talking about our job. Right? Our job is when people walk through those doors. That's where my job starts. I'm not going to try to change America. I'm not going to get a politician running. I'm not going to get a law passed. I don't. When someone walks through that door, right, that's, that's where the church starts. Right? And that's who I'm talking about. Right? And so when someone walks through that door who has a visible sin, Right, versus my not visible sin, okay? I can't treat them in a... I can't treat them like a leper, right? Jesus walked up and he just touched lepers, you know? So that's, that's what I'm talking about. So, so homophobia isn't about the politics and the concepts. It's about a person and how that person is treated, despised, um, hated, uh, viewed negatively, right? Targeted, singled out, etc. Yeah, exactly. It should be treated like every other, every other person. Yeah, yeah. And that's a, this is a big topic, and we can we can talk about. It. Yes, Jonathan. Depends how fired you want to get me. Oh my God. All right. Question bucket one.
Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, just so you know, I have an entire, I have 18 points under that bucket, none of which I talked about today. When you, you want me to go down that road. You know, you know when, like, you ever see these war movies where, like, someone holds up, like, you know, like a dead body and then runs through and then all the bullets hit the dead body? That would be me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so so uh, I will address that point. So there are a lot of issues for the clergy, Right. Um, and of course, the clergy are the leaders of, of the church, right? So, um, and a lot of what's happened, a lot of the, the reasons some youth have left are things clergy have done. There's no secret there, right? And I can go through and I can enumerate those, that list. Uh, I, I'm not going to. And, and the reason I'm not going to, it's, it's, it's purposeful. Um, there's the whole pay grade story. But, the, but the, real, the real story that I want to talk about is we have to ultimately... Focus on what we can control. Because once you move outside of your control, it's very stressful. Yes. And I don't want you to be stressed. Yes, yes. So that's a very, that's a big topic, um, and one we can talk about if you want. Uh, um, at that, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, look, I, uh, I'll, I'll address it very quickly. As soon as the separation between church and state gets blurry, it gets dangerous, right? And as soon as a clergy member becomes politically motivated or, or activated or thoughtful in any way, it becomes dangerous. Right? And so, you know, this is my personal stance. I take a big, I, I really, I take a big um, uh, issue with clergy getting involved in politics of the country, right? Because the country's laws can exist as they are, and I don't necessarily, I don't think I have a responsibility to change them. Right? Let me give you an example. One we can all see. In Egypt, I'm allowed to marry four women. Okay? And because that's the, the law of that country, right? Uh, why aren't we out protesting this? Why aren't we out saying, you know, the Bible says you can't do this. This is wrong. You know, blah, 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 blah. And we, we should be out attacking all these laws and going to parliament and trying to get laws, these laws, because that's, that's not consistent with our beliefs. But we don't, right? Why? Well, that's because that's what they do. It's an Islamic country. These are Islamic, you know, laws. And that's, that's okay. That's nice. I still can't marry four women, right? They can have 30 women. That's nice. 
I can marry one. That's what the church says, right? Now, the only time I'm going to flip that is if the state comes in and says, okay, Coptic church, you have to let your members marry four women. Now, I stand at the door, right, with an AK-47, right? I mean, I stand and I say, no, this is not coming into our church, right? But for me to necessarily go out and say, well, I have to impose, uh, the government can do whatever it wants, right? That's what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 See, now, I mean, I'm all for uh, community. No, 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 no. I, I mean, I'm all for community service outside of our community, and I think it's important. Um, but in this particular case, and I've actually given several uh, a talk on this, I call it micro versus macro morality. Um, you know, I, I think it's important that we distinguish because I think w there's a spiritual issue here, which is once I allow myself to focus on what's happening outside, not me, then I lose sight of my own spiritual life, right? And if I'm focused on your sins, I'm not looking at my sins, right? Yeah, exactly. And so the youth really get up, uh, up in arms on these, on these causes, right? And they just, they're so upset with everybody else's sin. And you're like, yeah, but, you know, you got to focus on you right? You're not going to stop that racist in Alabama, right? He's got to work on himself, and he's got a long road ahead of him, and God help him, and I'll pray for him, right? I, you know, my post on Instagram is not going to fix the racist in Alabama, right? But what I can do, right, I can focus on me, right? And I think so, in that particular case, I think that's an education issue. I think the youth should be informed that the, the focus is a spiritual focus on myself, right? I, I, I become the image and likeness of God and a thousand souls around me change. I think that's the... All right, I've taken too long. There's thousands of kids out there willing to just... All right, any other questions, comments? Yes, John. Yes. I just think it's important for, uh, for us to uh, ac acknowledge that you're not up there spouting opinions, right? That this is what the youth are saying. So it's easy, maybe if you came in late or, you know, you hear this, if you hear what you're saying out of context, it's like Archdeacon Mark has an opinion and this is his opinion about what's going on. I think what's really important, that this is what we acknowledge, is that this is what the youth are saying. So if we don't acknowledge it, uh, what they're saying as real, then we're not listening to them. Yeah, and if we're not listening to them, then we've lost them for sure, right? So it's really important that we listen to what they're saying, uh, hear it, and really try to work this out. And this is not opinion. This is just what they know. Yeah, so. and, and I think that's important because it could be a communication issue. It could be an education issue. It could be they're just wrong. It could be perception. Or maybe there's something for us to see and change, right? So, um, yeah, like, uh, you know, this is, this is a, a list of, of things that was told to me by a variety of different youth, adults, people have left the church, people in the church, um, as to what they perceive are the problems, right? And I think it's easy for us to dismiss those things, say, well, these people are just wrong, they don't get it. But I think it's a better approach to listen and say, well, why are you perceiving it that way? What can I do to change that perception? Or maybe there is something I can fix in myself, right? When everyone, when everyone says to you, you know, you're very grumpy, I could sit there and say, I'm not grumpy, right? Everyone is wrong, 
That's, that's approach one. Approach two is, well, wh when, why do you think I'm grumpy? Well, because you make that face. What face do I make? Okay, now we're getting somewhere, right? And now I can fix my perception of grumpiness because actually inside I'm smiling. I just have a, you know, a, 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 a face that I have resting, you know. All right, that's enough of that. That's a good time to call it. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Let's stand and pray.